0: You can't get rid of procrastination, but you can replace the procrastination habit with a more effective habit of taking action on always moving forward, one tiny, itty-bitty step at a time, because that's how any of us get anywhere. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to record their life story to share with their family and friends and with future generations, and they need our help. Today, we're talking about how to be productive and organized with Cynthia Kiriazes. Cynthia is a productivity strategist, a coach, a trainer, a consultant, a speaker, and an author. And she has over 20 years' experience working with everything from Fortune 500 companies to entrepreneurs to nonprofits. She's talked productivity on TV and on the radio, and she's appeared online at the Wall Street Journal and Forbes. And she's the author of a book, a best selling book called Get Organized, Get Focused. Get moving. How to overcome productivity potholes. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. Thanks for having me, Amy. Oh, I'm very excited to talk about this. I, you know, I am not by nature. I'm not very organized by nature and I try to be productive, but as you know, I'm sure more than any of us, like if the one cannot go without the other. So I, but the thing is, I love talking about productivity and I love reading about it. It's, it's much easier to read about it than actually put it into action. Right, exactly (laughs) right. This is kind of silly, but I was really struck by by your subtitle, How to Overcome Productivity Potholes, because that, to me, I'm not sure if this is the meaning that you intended, but to me, that means that there are things out there that will make us stumble. It's not just a matter of being super disciplined or a matter of um, motivation. If we're not productive, it's not because we're lazy or unmotivated, although I guess for some people, that could be a productivity pothole. But it seems like you're telling us that there are things out there that, that can um, make us stumble and you can help us figure out what those are and get beyond them.
0: Well, I think that's exactly right. I think maybe you've heard the adage, it's simple, but it's not easy. That pretty much describes anything that involves having a certain level of knowledge, and then applying a certain level of behavior around it, which basically means developing different habits. You know, we can't just get rid of a habit. It doesn't work that way. What we have to do is replace an ineffective habit with an effective one. So it really doesn't have, I have found over 26 plus years, it really doesn't have anything to do with whether or not someone is lazy or um, not interested. It really has to do with what do they know and are they willing to apply it because they see that there's value in that. So Mm. it's a one-two thing. Uh, Do you have the knowledge? Yes. Yes. Do you find the value? And that's really what gets people going, I think.
1: I heard a quote, or I think I read this quote somewhere, that um, knowledge without application is the same thing as ignorance. Now, I don't think that's true for all different kinds of knowledge, but absolutely for the kind of knowledge that you're talking about, right? Um, if, if we just talk about it and think about it, but don't apply it, then it's not doing us any good, Um And the the other thing that struck me with your book is that you've got, um, you know, I, I think I know, at least I tend to think of these things as separate items, you know, being productive, managing time being organized, especially the being organized part. But the way that you talk about it, it seems like they're all strands of the same thing, um, that you know, you can't really be productive without good time management skills and and without good organization. Is is that right? That's a really good
0: question, Amy, because I kind of get that question a lot. Uh, the, the first question I get is, well, Cynthia, is organizing, getting organized part of time management, or is time management part of getting organized? Mm-hmm. So the first question, um, Clarity around that is that orga- getting organized is one of eight topics within, time, the topic, within the field of time management. So getting organized is one of those things that helps you manage your time better. But if you live in clutter and uh, work in clutter, it's one of the things that becomes a productivity pothole. And then people want to know what's the difference between time management and productivity? Aren't they the same thing? And the answer is no, they're not quite the same thing. Time management is really about how we manage ourselves in relation to the time we have, because let's face it, we can't manage time. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's the choices we make about how to use them, right? So getting the basis of your skill set around time management is the first step once that gets to be a groove for you, in other words, that gets to be a habit. You don't have to think about it. It's a little bit like brushing your teeth every day. It's just something that happens in all of these eight different topics. You you keep moving forward to improve your time management. Eventually, you come to a point where you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm clicking along pretty good. Now, how can I make it better? Productivity is about being effective and efficient at the, at the right time. For me and my kind of work, of course, it, it has nothing to do with, putting a stopwatch on you. right? Uh, But some people, especially employees within very larger organizations, their time demand, even small business owners actually, their time demand is uh, is really limited because again, we only have 24 hours in a day. So the idea of improving our productivity by getting our time management to become a, a habit, a good habit, an effective habit is really what productivity is about. It's taking it to the next level.
1: And you also have talked about... Um applying these things to people who are creative thinkers. So um, I would say that anybody who's in the life story profession is definitely <laughs> falls in that camp. I mean, we're, we're writing books, we're creating videos and audio projects. Um, and I, I think from what I understand, there's a difference in the way that maybe people who are in creative professions, um, how they approach time management and how they approach keeping themselves organized. And can you talk a little bit about that, that difference between that and maybe somebody who's you know an accountant or, or
0: who's more of the left brain thinker? Uh, yeah, I talk about that in the book. And I've used actually a little quiz that I have. I've used it for 25, 26 years. When I first heard about this difference between right brain and left brain thinking, it was relatively uh, a new field when I began my business. But I started to, uh, when I started my business, I began to see differences within my my client base, within my Uh, you know, I was very young and my business was just a baby, but I just kept seeing these distinct differences. So I created this quiz and I've used this quiz for years. And it basically tells you, do do you retrieve uh, more because your left brain is stronger, the left side of your brain is stronger, or because the right brain side of your brain is stronger? Or are you something in the middle? So a a left brainer uh, is what I call a filer. It's somebody who is keyed by Language. So when they go to retrieve something, they are looking for a file folder with a name on it. That's what keys them is language. They tend to be very linear thinkers. They tend to be, you know, left to right, top to bottom, A to Z. That doesn't mean they're organized. It means that's how they think when they want to find something. A right brainer is more of a piler. It's somebody who's keyed keyed by it's somebody who's keyed by visuals. And the visual needs to be very direct. So they have piles on their desk and it looks messy. Most of the time they know where something is, but the clutter still can cause some angst to have all these piles around. So if I say to a right brainer, why don't we put this in the file cabinet? Their eyes get about as big as half dollars. And they uh, they say, oh no, if I put it in there, I'll never remember because they are triggered by retrieving mm-hmm. something that is visual and direct. In other words, it can't be in a box over there. It has to be visual and I have to be able to place my hand on it. Mm -hmm. And then the third type is what I call a combo. And a combo is somebody who has a little bit of left and a little bit of right. And they're analysis or their self-analysis about how to retrieve information is more difficult for them because they have to figure out when do I go and retrieve, want to retrieve things using language and when do I want to go and retrieve things using a visual cue. And the best example I can give you is myself. When I... Before I started my business, I worked for a corporation and I had an administrative assistant and every morning she would bring me my list of things to do and all the papers I needed and all the appointments I had and so on and so forth. When I went to work for myself, uh, I have a home office and nobody brought me anything. (laughs) <laughs> so here I am thinking that, oh, I'll just transfer that skill from the office to my own office. And I couldn't find anything. I had stuff all over the place, which is really not like me. <laughs> so I started to think there's something wrong here. And I had to figure out what it was. So eventually when I made my little quiz, I took my quiz. And I was I was right in the middle. And I said, oh, I have to sit and figure this out now. So now I have to sit and figure it out. And this is what I discovered. If I have a project that has been completed, Let's say I've already written a chapter in the book or I've completed creating a training online or I've completed some segment of a coaching uh, call that I have with a client. I store that and look for it through language. I want to retrieve it through language. But if I have a book or a chapter that is in the middle of creation, if I have a training that I am creating and it is, you know, creation is chaotic. Eventually, it looks nice, but it's chaotic mm. to create. So if I have that going on, then I'm retrieving everything I needed to retrieve. It was laying down and visual to me. Hmm. And, the, and then there were times, so I, I did both at depending on what it was my project was requiring of my brain. And I have set myself up in my office to do that because I know those two things.
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I think the parallel is um, when they when you talk about writing, um, and. We're always told as writers, you have to wear the the writer hat and the editor's hat. Um, but you don't want to mix them up and you don't want to try to be both at the same time. Because when you're actually in the act of creating whatever you're writing, that, that fires up a different part of your brain than what you're going to use when you go and start the revisions and you're actually looking at it as more of an editor. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're describing in your own creative process, it sounds like.
0: That's exactly correct. It's like which hat am I wearing today, or which hat am I wearing right now, or which hat am I wearing this hour? Something like that. It, you know, and, and again, it's become a habit. I know my system, I know my my style. So so it, it works that way if you could say I have one eye on one and one eye on the other. And if you set up a system that accommodates your style, whatever your style is. Uh, then you tend to use it. It's easier to maintain it. It's easier to uh, get up and running if, let's say, you know, something went sideways or you, all of a sudden there was too much going on and a, and a lot of clutter or disorganization appeared. You're faster to retrieve. You're faster to to uh, to come to that mm-hmm. so that you well, get back to what you're doing.
1: right. This here listening to your talk, it just reminded me of when I was um when I was seventeen and I was, you know, about to graduate from college or from high school and I went my mom took me down to Tulane University, which is where I ended up going. But um it was just for a little meet and greet, and I went to talk to the advisor. And I remember going into the office and she had Cynthia, I I kid you not, it was a mountain of papers on her desk, just chaos all over the place. And she she asked me my name i told her my name she she scooched her hand underneath the pile came out with a file and it was my file with my name on it and i thought this is where i belong <laughs> you know this this is the kind of organization skill that i like because you know the way you were describing it that's that's how i am too i i i don't like too much clutter, but I also do not like zero clutter at all because I like to have things, uh, within grasp. Um, and, and otherwise it, the, the lack of it also makes me nervous too. So I, th- I think that goes towards what you're saying about knowing your personality type and where
0: you fall with on that spectrum, right? That's exactly correct because. You know, it's if you try, okay. So, this is the example I'll give you. Years ago, uh, there would be a corporate executive who would go on vacation, and the administrative assistant thought they were doing a a, a really nice thing by organizing the executive's (sighs) office. And when the executive comes back, they can't find anything. It's the same with a husband and wife team somebody's going to organize somebody else, and it doesn't work. They can't find anything, they get frustrated, they get anxious. Uh, they lose a lot of time. There's a, a potential argument that can ensue. You simply cannot organize for someone else. They need to understand their mm. style and set up and create it in a way they think will work and then be open to tweaking that over and over and over again. Um, it just, it's not a one size fits all. That's what I can, all I can tell you. It's really not a one size fits all. So, you know, awareness and then
1: practice. Well, I think that's very interesting to hear you say that you can't organize for somebody else because you are a professional organizer, right? Yes, but I would
0: never go to a client and say, this is how we're going to do it. The entire- the So enti- how
1: do you start if somebody, yeah, if, if somebody hires you um, uh, to, to come help them with the organization, where do you start? Is it looking at their personality or
0: um, are, are there other things? I would say very early on in my career, career uh, as a professional organizer I did ask them to do my my little quiz right but I will say now that what I do is no different than what any consultant or coach would do I go into the office and I start asking a lot of questions a lot of questions what's the goal how long has it been going on how long have you been trying to correct this tell me when it works tell me when it doesn't work it's it's putting those bits and pieces together from the mouth of the client so that I create and help the client create what they need. It has absolutely nothing to do with me, nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's all about their input. And then we take their input and my knowledge and we kind of put it together. And And I go, does this feel good? No, okay, let's move it over here until we get to a place where the client seems to be comfortable. And then I ask them to practice using that system and that they are free to shift and move things if they find that, you know, it shouldn't be on the left side. It should be on the right side, that kind of thing. And I give them license to do that. And then I follow up with them again to see how it's going and what other questions they have. And do we need to tweak it? Is it good? Or do we have to scratch and start over? We rarely, we rarely, rarely scratch and start over. It's a matter of really tweaking it. And although I'm using organizing as, a, as an example, because it is the only one of the eight topics in time management that you can physically see what you're doing and not doing. Uh, I'm using that as an example, but that same story is true for every topic within time management. Everybody has a style that's, uh, it may not be as clear cut as the organizing style, but everybody has a way in which they, they do things. And it's frequently a matter of finding out what they do, figuring out why it's not working and making a suggestion to try something else. Usually it's a subtle shift. But sometimes it's a major shift. And have you found when you're working, you know, not
1: necessarily with, the, with people in big companies, because that's just structured differently. But when you're working with entrepreneurs, are there people who are maybe self-employed or have a very small team of people? Um, are there common pitfalls that you see
0: um, when people are trying to set this up? I, I would say it's, it doesn't really matter where you work or what you do. It's the same. I think entrepreneurs wear a lot of different hats, and their priorities are pulled and pushed. But that's true of anybody. That's true of people in nonprofits. That's true of people in large corporations. That's true of people in government. It's true of somebody who works alone in their home office to a small business owner with five or ten people. It's the 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 principles are the same. It's the approach that that we tweak from person to person by using the principles that are, are the same. You know, one of the things somebody asked me the other day was how much has technology upset time management things? I said, well, here's what I usually say in a training. Time management came and saved us time, and time management came along and cost us time. Because we're doing more things, Hmm. we may be doing them differently, but we're doing more of them. But the truth of the matter is, the principles of time management don't change. The technique could change because of the technology. The approach might need some tweaking, but the principles are completely the same. It's just you know, technology got introduced, and so it added another element to it.
1: Well, and that's interesting, considering that you and I had to spend quite a bit of time right before we jumped into this interview because of technology, and we were talking about how sometimes technology is great, and sometimes it's not, right? I mean, it's allowing us to do this interview. Um, you're you're at your computer, I'm at my computer, um, but it did take us a little bit of time to
0: get that going. Yes, I've said that more than once. <laughs> Technology saved us, but it didn't.
1: <laughs> so you you've mentioned a couple times now these eight um, eight elements. Can you can you run through them? Do you have them on the top uh, yeah. of your head? Or
0: oh, sure. The eight topics in time management are what we discuss: getting organized. Then there's goals, priorities, and plans, and scheduling. I refer to that as your time management GPS: goals, priorities, and plans, and scheduling. And then there are what I call the potholes. In addition to not being organized, uh, one pothole is ineffective communications. And in time management, mm-hmm. that can mean meetings, email, voicemail, or one-on-one conversations. Uh, the next pothole is uh, not being able to set boundaries. It's about not lear- you know, not learning how to say no uh, gracefully uh, so you can remain focused on what you need to do. The next pothole is uh, micromanaging rather than delegating because delegating leverages time your time as a supervisor or a manager. And then the last one is of course, our favorite uh, procrastination.
1: And procrastination is one that I absolutely understand. I, one of my potholes is um, it with time management is that not recognizing the boundaries, not so much, you know, not saying no when I need to say no, but I'm talking about actual time boundaries. So as a a solo, self-employed person, I can schedule my time how I want. I'm not clocking in or, or out. Um, I'm not driving to an office and then leaving home at the end of uh, leaving for home at the end of the day. My office is right here, and so it feels like there's all of this time that I can be working. So if I don't want to do a particular task very often, I'll put it off, and then you know, and then it gets into the evening hours. And one of my um, pitfalls is having my work time bleed into what should not be my work time. Um, and I think that is partly with procrastination, especially when it's when I have to do some task that I would prefer to put off. And there's easier things to to do during my workday. So I'm still technically working.
0: Yes, I hear that quite a bit. Amy, you're not alone. Um, uh, one of the things that I share with clients is something I call timeless takeaways. It's about principles, but I call them timeless takeaways because when you say principles, people don't want to hear it. So one of my timeless takeaways for time management is procrastination is a time management deal breaker. Mm -hmm. I could teach you everything I know plus some for seven topics in time management. But if you procrastinate, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you learned. Procrastination is a time management deal breaker. And it's a habit, it's a habit you form in childhood and it rides right along with you right into adulthood. It goes with you to college or it goes away to school with you and all of a sudden things start happening because nobody's there to remind you to do something or nag you to do something as they say. Uh, and then it goes with you into work. And if you work for a company or if you work for yourself, it's it didn't go away, it's still there. So it's a matter of you can't get rid of procrastination but you can replace The procrastination habit with a more effective habit of taking action on Mm -hmm. always moving forward one tiny, itty-bitty step at a time, because that's how any of us get anywhere, one step at a time. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And I guess that probably starts with awareness.
0: It does start with awareness. And I will tell you, uh, I will share with you a timeless takeaway from my uh, Get Organized class. Clutter is symptomatic of delayed decision-making. Oh, that's good. So another another word for delayed decision-making is procrastination. Procrastination permeates everything you do and do not do in the area of time management and productivity and peace of mind. It's It permeates everything. But it goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning. It's about having the knowledge, the as you said, the awareness and the knowledge of what to do and then finding enough value to make that change from a behavioral standpoint.
1: And do you think this is something that people can do on their own? Or if they have the awareness, they realize that there's a problem or an issue. um, There's lots of good books, including yours. Are these habits that people can change on their own? Or um, do most people need
0: some extra help, some outside help? I would say 90% percent of the world needs extra help in the form of coaching or in the form of accountability groups or in the form of a, you know, a manager or a supervisor, a colleague, a friend, somebody who will help them get through this movement from an ineffective habit to an effective one, something that doesn't work to something that works for them. I don't see, and it just could be because of my clientele, I don't see many people who are successful at trying to make that change by themselves. They either need knowledge, or they need support, or they need uh, questions answered, or they need encouragement, or they need measurement. They need something, uh, and a book alone is it usually doesn't do it unless the person is just extraordinarily motivated. So I, I can't say that it can't be done, but I think uh, most people need some assistance and want some assistance. They want a sounding board around something that's difficult like this that they really want to want to accomplish. Yeah. Well, another thing that
1: you talk about are the high payoff activities, and I think I can see how that fits in. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about that, like making the the choices of the things that the tasks that we have in front of us, making sure that they are the that we're choosing the correct ones at the correct time.
0: Well, choosing the correct ones at the correct time goes back to this, the your your time management GPS that I talked about. Do you know what your goal is? Are you clear about it? Are you specific about it? Are you motivated by it? Do you own it? If the answer to those are yes, then the next question is great. What are the priorities that you need to outline to get to that goal? Understand clearly and specifically, what are my priorities? Then take those priorities and begin to think about and plan when you can work on them. Then schedule them. So that's your GPS, your goals, your priorities, plans, and your schedule. If you learn and execute those three things, practice those three things, make those three things and that system and process around those three things a habit, then nothing gets in the way. The productivity potholes become almost moot uh, because your vision is driving you to next steps. Now, some people need a to-do list. Some people need audio reminders. There are different ways of getting through your GPS, but if you are truly motivated to achieve a goal that has clarity to you and speaks to you, then you will find ways to mitigate those productivity potholes, whether it's education or learning or testing or trying or whatever it is. But it all starts with how badly do I want that? I'm speaking in abstracts, but I'll give you an example. Somebody says, you know what, I, I, I it's exactly what you just said. I work and I, I do a lot. I work a lot. And then uh, it's time to go spend time with my family. And I go to spend time with my family and I find myself checking email or I find myself wanting to go back to my home office to do X, Y, Z. If you are really clear about the boundaries around family time versus work time, you find a way to say, you know what, the work will be there tomorrow or whatever you say to yourself in order to stay focused on what the priority is. So if after five o'clock, the priority is the family, that's a very clear line for you. And that's where and how we make
1: our decisions around that. Exactly. And, and I think that is where some of the difficulty comes in is, well, and I, I suppose if, you know, I, if I were out in the corporate world, I'm sure people have the same issue. But for us, um, for for the life story writers and life story professionals, um The job isn't done until the book is in somebody's hand, or the video is in somebody's hand, or the audio is in somebody's hand. So parceling out the work to yourself can be very difficult, because you know that you're never done unless you have some system of chunking it out and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to accomplish today. And when you accomplish it, then you're done with work for the day, um, and that's something that I've always had a problem with, um, and and I think that probably very many people in this profession have that same problem. I, so, are, is there is that a common problem that you see where people, you know, when you have big projects, how do you know when you're finished with work for the day? Okay,
0: so you're speaking to procrastination issues, right? Yeah. So, in procrastination, if you want to try to overcome it. There are some general ideas. It will vary by, uh, the the, the exact task will vary by your style of of procrastination. But the general idea is be very, very specific about what you need to do. I don't mean general. The more general you are, the more vague the outcome will be. So be very specific Mm -hmm. about what you want to accomplish, number one. Number two, break it down into small, itty-bitty pieces, small bites that you can accomplish. And when you accomplish that, cross it off the list and go to the next one. Because all of us only get to anywhere one step at a time. I think before we started this interview, I was talking about my online school. And my online school is not simply a matter of taking the type of training I've done on site and just moving it over, moving the PowerPoints over. It is, in fact, a business in and of itself. So I was feeling fairly overwhelmed most of the year uh, until I realized, you know what, I need to take it step by step So I had to, you know, physician, heal thyself. Uh, I had to take it step by step. And I had to say, okay, just like I wrote the book. I wrote the book basically, oh, two, three pages a day. Or if I was really on a roll, I might write the whole chapter, but that didn't happen very often. So when it came to my online classes, I said, this is a huge amount of work. I have at least 10 classes. So all I did is I said, okay, today we're going to work on getting organized. And I'm going, the only thing I'm going to do today is finish the PowerPoints. And the next time I sat down, the next thing I was going to do with that project is I was going to do the graphics. And the next time, or part of the graphics, part of the, the, uh, the PowerPoint, I knew where I was going and I knew that I had a specific segment to do. Because really, if I sit at the desk for 10 hours to try to get further along in that project, what happens is my brain starts to shut down. And I have hmm. to come in the next day and redo the work I tried to do at, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night because they've proven that the brain gets tired. The brain has capacity, total capacity. It has capacity that it can only do so much, and then it's not going to do any more, or it's certainly not going to do it very effectively. So when I discovered that, hey, working longer hours doesn't really help, I need to just be sure what my chunk of work is for that day. I'm suspecting that what I experienced in that creative moment wasn't too much different than what writers would would, would experience. It's about... You don't have to finish the whole thing. Perfectionist procrastinators want to finish the whole thing. They need to learn how to say, I'm going to take this part of it. And I'm going to say, that's good enough. And tomorrow I'll take a second part and that will be good enough. And I will tell you that if you take that approach of chunking it down to specifics and you practice that, your product is better product is totally better and your mind isn't stressed absolutely i mean
1: i i can feel every day when my i I can feel my brain going into Mm -hmm. fatigue mode where i know that the the quality of the work is not going to be very good. And so that's time to stop. One of the other things that you were talking about was the communication. And um, it can really hurt you if you're not clear with your clients on when you're going to be delivering drafts or when you're going to be delivering the whole book. Um, most people have no idea. You do. You've written a book, but most people have no idea how long it takes to write a book. And so um, if you're trying to please the The client, but you are are also trying to make your work life tolerable. You know, there's there's a there's some middle ground there that's get things get very fuzzy, and I think that's where those two meet is where some of the challenges lie for me because. Then I think to myself, no, I need to keep working because I need to get this draft done and I need to get it to the client when in reality, I can only work for so long each
0: day um, as a writer. So what you've described to me is a perfectionist procrastinator. They, t- they tend mm-hmm. to say, I need to do this. I need to do that. I hear myself say it sometimes before I catch myself and stop, but I need to feel you know, this obligation of movement forward. But I will tell you, I will go back to, it's a conversation to set a goal. When I signed the papers to write my book, I was very clear of what my deadline was. So I said, okay, they had, they, the publisher had a deadline and I negotiated it because I knew what was going on in my business and what time of year it was. So they agreed to the negotiation, which pushed it out by a month. And I knew that, I had only X amount of time and it had to deliver by that date. I knew that deadline. Now, if something had happened, if I was in a car accident, I couldn't work out or whatever, the publisher would have renegotiated because I would have opened the conversation again. So I think it goes back to let's be clear about what to expect and can we build in some, some wiggle room, so to speak, and then can we address the mm-hmm. issues of it has to be perfect and I have to work 10 hours a day. Because that's not written anywhere. That's in our head. We become we don't realize the the habitual thoughts that we that we present to ourselves that cause some of this angst.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) Well, so now we are you and I are recording this at the end of November in 2018 and we're coming on December very, you know, very, very quickly, which is a good time, I think, to review lots of different things. Um, but as a self-employed person, a good time to review business um, objectives, g- business goals, and maybe also the kinds of things that you're talking about. You know, are we? Do we have our organization set up? Do we? Do we have a good handle on time management? Are there anything any tips that you can give to people to who are maybe just realizing that there's a problem
0: and they're not quite sure where to go with it? Well, I will say this: I don't deal with new year's resolutions uh, because they really don't bring any value. But normally what I will say is because I go through you know, my own strategic planning process, so to speak, every year, and I've tried to simplify it as much as I can. And these are the three questions I ask. And I have that actually in my newsletter this coming December, this December newsletter. What do I want to keep on doing? What do I want to change? And what do I want to stop doing? If you can answer those three, you can go from there.
1: That is brilliantly simple. I, I really like those questions.
0: Well, in my business, it needs to be simple because people they already have some concerns about what they're not doing well. So it's easy to just say, "Hey, it doesn't have to be complicated at all." What do you want to keep doing? What do you want to shift or edit or move or change? And what do you want to stop doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Socrates, the philosopher, said, you know, you know, talked about getting rid of things, not adding things. Getting rid of things. So. It's important to remember that one, the not-to-do list.
1: Well, thank you for that. Um, You mentioned the online school. Can you tell people how they can find out about that and find out about your book and where
0: they can find you? Yes. Thank you. Okay. You can find me at my website. It's propartnersinc.com. And my book is sold on Amazon. It's a bestseller, happy to say, Yay. much, much surprised. Yay. And, um, the online school will launch in January of 2019. If someone is interested, they can go to my website uh, in January and find out there'll be a page there. A uh, couple things. If you have questions about it, you can certainly send me an email at Cynthia at ProPartners inc.com or Cynthia at organize it now.com. either one, whichever one you remember, whichever one is easiest. <laughs> And, um, the, uh, the online school right now, I'm having a a contest to name the school. I don't have a name for my school yet, Hmm. but uh, we're having a little contest and I, I will have, I will start with two or three courses, uh, short ones, long ones, middle ones. And then I will add as the year goes along. Uh, wonderful, courses. wonderful.
1: Well, I'll make sure and put links to everything that you just mentioned in the show notes for for today's episode. Um, and I appreciate you sharing some of your wisdom with us. I know it's it's needed for you know by a lot
0: of people, including me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy, thank you very much for the experience and the technological uh, learning that I did today. And uh, thank you for mostly for giving me the opportunity and having an interest in what I do. I really appreciate it.
1: Great. Well, it's my pleasure. Okay. Well, take care, Cynthia, and good luck with your online school. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. And that does it for our interview with Cynthia Kiriasis. I hope it's helped. I hope that you've gotten some ideas that you can go back and apply to your own business. And remember that Cynthia is going to be offering an online school starting in January of 2019. If you want to find a link to that or any of the other links that we talked about, head over to the show notes at thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 42. And remember, I'm going to be adding a directory sometime after the holidays to the website. So if you want to have your listing on that, please head over to thelifestorycoach.com. You'll see a link that will take you to a form that you can fill out. There's no charge for this. It's for anybody who's working as a Life Story professional. That can be part-time, full-time, as a volunteer, just trying to help us get the word out that we are out here ready and willing and eager to help clients who want to have a life story done. As usual, if today's show is helpful, the best way you can return the favor is to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show and it helps people learn about the profession of writing and creating life stories. I'm Amy Woods Butler, personal historian and life story writer, and your coach for building your own professional life story business. Now go out and save someone's story.